WCBN FM, Ann Arbor. By the way, are you all right? I feel a little discombobulated. Yes. Living Writers here on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I'm T. Hetzel, and I'm so excited to have Michael Schilling here in the studio today. It's very exciting <laughs> to be here, T. <laughs> We're on a highway to hell for the next hour, yeah, folks. So, we are, uh, indeed. Buckle in or strap in, whatever your your <laughs> Whatever your preference. proclivity. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and thanks to Alex Sergey, the lazy DJ, who's here now doing the boards for Living Writers. So um, the man who does everything, Alex Sergey. Um, Michael Schilling's book, Rock Bottom, just came out from Little Brown on January 9th, right, Michael? That's right. That's correct. <laughs> it's very exciting. It's your debut novel. It is. Um, and to start us off, I mean, many many of our listeners here in Ann Arbor or, or maybe beyond, like in Seattle and these other places. I can dream. You know, they're listening now and yeah. they know who Either you are. Either friends or enemies. <laughs> <laughs> and members of my family are listening, oh, yours, excellent. I'm sure, right? Yes, yes. <laughs> so uh, just to fill in the rest of us uh, listening mm-hmm. or streaming, um, Michael Schilling is a lecturer at the University of Michigan, where he received his MFA in creative writing. His stories have appeared in The Sun, Fugue, and Other Voices. A recovering rock musician, he played the drums in The Long Winters, as well as in numerous other bands in Seattle. He's currently at work on a novel set in Victorian England, um, which will be pretty funny for everyone to we'll talk about that later yeah. it's a huge leap from it is what we're i've twisted be. my ankle so to speak many times <laughs> trying to pivot like that so, yeah. yeah well it's, you're still standing i am, na- I am. In navigating the snow <laughs> yeah <laughs> not to make you sound like elton john or someone no i don't mind you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so so you're you're here lecturing michael yeah. and, and you've got cut through so you're living the teacher's life at the moment yeah and, living the dream <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like you've already lived the dream of like the yeah someone's the, dream the, yeah, <laughs> my dream yeah. What was your dream maybe before you you got into that life? Because it's it's um, you played the drums mm-hmm. right, or you and you still play the drums, and and that gave you access to this all this material. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was in the I was in many bands in my life, most of whom are sadly forgotten, uh, but um, I did play in uh, the long winters for about three years, which was a very lovely experience. I mean that most sincerely. Uh, we, uh, I was on a record called When I Pretend to Fall, and I also toured for, in support of that record, and another excellent record called The Worst You Can Do Is Harm. And uh, yeah, for about three years. And so that gave me the raw data um, 
to which I can wield narrative white gold. <laughs> Nice. So now that's a little taste of the wordsmithing that Michael Schilling yeah. does throughout Rock Bottom. For better or worse. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. But um, but so so you you had this this material at your your disposal and but yet you created this this completely fictional these, these story dudes. around it, right? Yeah. yeah. Could, well, will you give us a little excerpt like the Rock Bottom snippet? Sure. Um, Would you like me to read a little bit? Not or, not or yet. Let's just it. talk about okay, the great. story and because you have this you've created this great website also to go along. You could people yeah. could pull up rockbottom.com. It's actually uh, Blood Orphans. Oh, Blood Orphans. Oh, the it name is, of the of band course. is Blood Orphans. Yes. Um, should I talk a little bit about what the book is about? That would be great. Okay. So, Rock Bottom is about a band from Los Angeles called Blood Orphans. And uh, the book takes place in one day on the last day of their last tour. Uh, they're a band that um, some uh, incompetent AR guy at Warner Brothers was dumb enough to see all kinds of potential in them that may or may not have existed and signed them for, you know, a squillion dollars. And uh, they uh, go and make a fancy record in Jamaica in a fancy uh, studio. And then the record promptly gets um, accused, they get accused by Spin Magazine of being racists because of a song um, that you will hear later in the show called Double Mocha Latte. And so as a result, uh, everything starts to go wrong in all number of ways. So this book is... It takes place in one day uh, in Amsterdam, which is and, in the Netherlands. And what was what was your reasoning for, for putting the book there, like doing the time frame of one day? What was your reasoning with that? Uh, that was more because uh, I felt like I could handle one day, like um, writing a novel that takes place over um, a longer period of time. So much can go wrong. <laughs> Whereas I felt like one day, like I can do one day. Well, because you use lots of flashbacks too, yeah. so it's not as if it's only rooted in yes, that moment. Yes, it is. There is a lot of retrospection because the 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 book is essentially the story is essentially trying to figure out. Um, it's a reckoning story. It's about trying to figure out what went wrong. Um, the spiritual antecedent of this book is Faulkner's "As I Lay Dying," because we didn't have a large mom to carry across a river, but we had uh, a dead dream to cart across town. So that is the, um, so yeah, so Faulkner, wherever you're floating around, you're the inspiration, uh, so to speak, on, on a grand level for this book. So yeah, so there's a lot of retrospection and a lot of, there's, you know, five different narrators, or it's all omniscient, third person, but there's five different viewpoints, which alternate, so it's sort of an ensemble, and they all have different things that went wrong, and uh different ways in which they contributed to the downfall of this band. Yeah, and the pain that they cause each other, it seems yes, like. Yes, there is much pain that they cause each other. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of hijinks. So, and hijinks is a good word because that brings in a whole other level of the book. Like, it's, it's humor and, and yes. it's funny and it's in its bleakness as well because we don't, it's, yeah, it's sure it's the last day of their last Yeah, tour, I should say that the book is a... Looking for I, redemption, but... <laughs> right, I mean, I should say that the book is a, I described it as a pitch black comedy. So it's a comedy, um, and uh, yeah, I use the comedy to um, as a portal into the seriousness. Yes, yeah, because it seems like you use a lot of, um, I don't know, moments of psychology to deepen mm -hmm. moments in the book. Yeah, yeah, I mean, primarily, um, you know, the notion of writing a book about a rock band, a lot of people kind of go, uh, why would I want to read a book about a rock band? But... Um, the deeper, but also a lot of people would be like, I totally want to read oh, yeah, a book about for a sure, rock band for sure. But you know, like you use the character as a writer, you use the material you have to transcend that material. 
So that's what I'm trying to do. In in the book, there's um, there's a reading guide in the back section of, of Rock Bottom, mm-hmm. Michael. And um, there's moments where you, uh, let's see, when you're, you're talking about... Uh, uh, what you what you've written that you had two books that are sort of like those books that are in two novels in a drawer sort of thing uh, and then yeah. this is your third so this is your your debut novel but you've right. got two two yeah two novels two what are known um, among us writers uh, as quote unquote practice novels which you don't know are practice novels at the time so they're in a locked drawer with the key thrown away <laughs> so <laughs> I don't really want anybody to read those I I myself um. Uh, don't really know if I can handle reading those, but you know they got me to, you know they got me to the point where I could write something that cohered. And what and so and what kind of material were you working with in those those books? Because was it something like this is like a was a fresh idea like you wanted to kind of romp around in this this rock and roll world, uh-huh. or or had the other books tried that on too? No, or? Um, <clears throat> the first book I wrote was sort of like um, Donnie Darko, but not good. Um, so I think like there's a lot of, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but a lot of young guys out there who saw Donnie Darko and were like, what a cool story. I'm going to try to do something like that. I don't know. Maybe young women do that too. But, um, so yeah, mine was a very bad version of some kind of, uh, time warp continuum in suburbia kind of story. It was, it was yeah, it was called Shoes for the Dead. And, uh, and then I wrote a, a dot com novel about a bunch of guys in a Microsoft type of company. And is that part of your past? Like, was that one of your writer's jobs that you did to allow yourself time to write? Or, or? Yeah, yeah. I was for many years when I lived in uh, Seattle. I lived in Seattle for about 10 years, and I spent a lot of that time as a you know, marketing copywriter and working in ad agencies and I worked at Microsoft, et cetera. So I uh, learned about the, the bizarritude of, of that world. So, and so, and we, so, th- so those are things that those are, those are, that's material that you still have at your disposal, even yeah. though you might not want to use it in its present form. You right. still have all those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the material never goes away. It's just whether or not you can, you know, give it meaning. When when did you consider yourself a writer? Like when was that? Like uh, let's let me look at my watch. Let's page uh, back. three seconds ago. <laughs> when you first came on the Living Writers maybe, Show, maybe when I entered this building, I was like, I think I made it. <laughs> and looking around, you know, you have. Oh yeah, look at the, these walls. There's so much so much writing history in here. True. So much writing on the walls, literally. Um, I think that I really thought of myself as um, someone that could say something that was interesting to people besides me was getting a couple of short stories published in some journals that, you know, I would longingly look at in uh, T, you're also from Seattle, so you remember Steve's Broadway News. I would longingly look at at these these magazines that were in the way back of the racks, like behind, you know, everything. It was behind, like, the pet area. Yeah, it was was next, (laughs) it was right behind Cat Care Today, and uh, I would stare at it for hours and be like, I just want to have my name there. And so... Um, having my name there, so to speak, in those journals made me feel like, all right, well, no one can ever take that away from me. Like, no one can ever say, oh, yeah, Michael, oof. Yeah, too bad that uh, it didn't work out, you know? So, right. And yeah. so, that, so then that just fueled, fueled the belief. In, in yeah, going to school here did as well. I mean, the MFA program at the University of Michigan, this is now a plug, uh, is just a dazzling program full of brilliant teachers and really great writers. And so that was really what did it. It was really, really helpful. And, you know, I um, learned a lot from a lot of people, and it really helped this book. 
So you can see that on your acknowledgments page. Too. Yes, 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 indeed. <laughs> I'm thankful and acknowledging. So, so, but even like I let's even go like way back, okay. like when you were a wee child. Like, mm. way, were you also always like writing, making stories up, or telling stories? Yeah, I or? can remember the first story I wrote. It was called Adams as an A-T-O-M-S, and it, it was actually a kind of more of a uh, literary journalism, I guess you would call it, just about atoms. And atoms are cool, and, you know, they're small, and um, for to an eight-year-old, they have a lot of different personality traits, and so they bop around, and then they vaporize. And so that was pretty much the first story I wrote. Wow. And, what, and yeah. was that like the trying to avoid vaporization? Was that sort of what was at stake, or what was um, your... <laughs> well, you know, I'm sure that it was a metaphor for my own experience as an eight-year-old, and uh, <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> trying to not vaporize in the eyes of the world to my parents. No, um, I, you know, just, I've always liked to write, and uh, it's really... Um, yeah, it takes a long time. I mean, Stephen King, who's a big hero of mine, always said, you know, you've got to write a lot of stuff that isn't good before you can find the stuff that's good. And I think that's, it's probably the same with painting and photography, you know, just an art form like that. You have to just work at it every day, so, or almost every day. And is that what you do? Like, um, what's your writing life like? Um, I don't write every day, um, most days. And, uh, but I, I, I guess I either write or Revite? No. I either write or revise. <laughs> it's a new word. Every day, revite. Um, <laughs> it's writing and revising while taking vitamins. Um, no, I mean pretty much almost every day. Um, yeah, because I think it's important. Otherwise, you completely lose your voice as a writer. You know, like you lose your, um, you know, the tone you're trying to strike in the story that you're writing. And then you have to figure out again what your sort of, you know, what your tone and style is on the piece you're working how, how on. Long, how, can, how long does it take to sort of have that forgetting come into it um or, or is that yeah. some, like a fear too like you can't yeah. let it go for too long or like right what? you just lose yeah i mean you know like going uh, a week without doing it definitely feels like the first day back it's like going to the gym i mean it's like any i mean i think it's very similar to going to the gym the first day you go to the gym after a week you're like oh my god this really hurts i really hate doing this but if i go again tomorrow it's going to be good maybe but by the third day it'll totally work and it, that's kind of almost identical uh for me as a writer so, so I go to, so I write instead of going to the gym. <laughs> so, well, yeah. well, well, there you have it. No, cause yeah. I can see your YMCA keychain yeah. from across the lo- Very lonely badge. That <laughs> I think I still have one on there, even though yeah, I, it's my good to keep the dream alive. Is, yeah. It's long since <laughs> lapsed on my end, but, yeah. but there are other dreams. There will be other dreams. Yeah. There'll be, um, uh, so, so with, have you found any new insights into writing now that you're teaching writing as yeah. well? Well, because you've gone through the MFA program, yeah. and now you're sort of, uh, I won't say pontificating in front of a classroom I should hope not, but I probably do. Um, no. no, I bet you're telling a lot of jokes. Yeah, I, I, jokes are helpful. Um, I mean, yeah, teaching writing helps my writing, you know, because helping anybody with their ability to write um, <clears throat> helps me a lot, and sometimes in untangible ways, but I think that um, it is really uh, an honor and totally awesome Um, and fun experience and definitely I think that you lose something um, by being too isolated as a writer um, when you don't interact with other people about writing Um, and even if they're at a different stage or writing in a different totally different kind of genre than you or just you know college students just like learning how to write a freshman comp paper like it's all part of the same process so it's yeah it's super enriching and helpful 
So. Well, let's um, let's take a short break, mm-hmm. Michael, and then we'll come back um, and we'll hear a song from Blood Orphans, one of their tracks that's um, talked about a lot. It plays a pivotal role in yes. the, the novel Rock Bottom. Mm-hmm. So you're listening to Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. Today on the program, Michael Schilling and his debut, Rock Bottom. We'll be back. Living Writers, and today on the program, Michael Schilling and his debut novel, Rock Bottom. Um, and that song, yeah. and that song. <laughs> is one, um, it's, it's, a, it's a, tell us about the song, what we okay. just heard. Yeah, so the song itself is, which is in the book, uh, it's called Double Mocha Latte. And, uh, which is hilarious, especially <laughs> coming from like Seattle with the, uh, the coffee. Yeah, yeah, well. that's part of it, that's, too. Yeah, Somehow <laughs> it makes it in there. But I had, um, uh, I, so I have this website which is uh, bloodorphans.com. It's a completely fake band website for this band. And part of that was to have friends of mine in Seattle cover, quote-unquote, songs that are referenced um, in fuller and part in the book. And so um, I want to give a shout-out to uh, my good friends uh, Jeremy Kepping and Liz Green, uh, who together, uh, in as their band name is, uh, they called themselves for the song The Wipes, and they uh, they did that song, Double Mocha Latte. And so... Uh, just want to say thanks a lot, guys. And you can listen to all these songs at the website. Yeah, it's pretty. It's it's pretty great. I was looking at the website today again, and um, you've got like the 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 Darlo, the drummer from Blood Orphans, is mm-hmm. actually the persona that seems yeah. to be raging across most of the website. <laughs> yeah, I am not there except in a, as a douchebag. I am That's the douchebag. <laughs> they refer to me as the douchebag. I have my special douchebag page. <laughs> so, they allowed you that. Yeah, they're very upset with the story I've told. So, but glad yeah. that it's resuscitating the band, so that Darlo doesn't have to go. Like take the LSAT. Right. So there's another thing I should mention is they are on tour now. And so I'm keeping a tour blog every day. It's daily of their escapades, um, uh, which they are blogging, so to speak. And so, uh, yeah, that's kind of fun to sort of give them a second life and uh, put them back on the road a little bit. And you and you mentioned, Michael, that you told like this is an ensemble story yeah. in a way because it's obviously a band. So it's a group. And then they have a manager, Joey. And you give each of them a voice. And mm-hmm. it's like chapter by chapter. It's the perspective is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're going to read um, so yeah. we can so everyone can hear a bit of it. Sure. Um, and who whose perspective is this and what chapter are we coming into? Uh, this is the fourth chapter of the book. Um they are pretty short chapters, so this is about page 36 of the book, and uh, this is um, the first scene where we meet the singer, Shane. Uh, Shane, who is um, was a Christian rocker, 
but sold his soul for rock and roll and well, decided that he would um, be in this nasty little band because he felt like it had more juice than a Christian rock band in terms of getting a big record deal. So and, he's and trying to find more about what life is, right? Yeah, and he's <laughs> a, he's a seeker. He's a, he's seeker. a seeker. He <laughs> thinks of himself as a seeker. So this is about seeking. Um, so I'll just read a little bit. <clears throat> Shane felt something in his dreadlocks. He grabbed a piece dangling in his eyes and looked it over. He hoped it was peanut butter. Not too many things were this color, and the alternatives were hummus, new concrete, and baby crap. He lay in what was definitely a teenager's room. There was a certain undeniable smell to a teenager's room, a fruitiness, innocence not yet completely leached. A man's voice called up the stairs in Dutch. Shane smelled his hair, bunched into shortish dreads. Definitely peanut butter. He heard a child running back and forth in the hallway. Then the child opened the door and peeked in. She was about five, blonde and cherubic, a real slice of master race. She asked him something in Dutch. Ja, he said, unsure what language he was speaking. There had been so many beds in so many countries. Ja, he said again, as if to pop some balloon between them. She let out a peep and ran down the hall. Danica, the teenager in question, lay beside him. He pulled back the covers. She had a slamming body, martini glass boobs, a stomach you could bounce a quarter off, a butt that saluted the sky, topped off with a witchy set of black dreads. She too was strafed in peanut butter. He felt a rush of blood to his nether parts. The walls of Danica's room were kind of black, like maybe she only put on one coat before her parents caught her. Man, he said. Without makeup, Danica was still in the proto-pubescent stage. He prayed to every god he had ever worshipped, Jesus, Buddha, and Yahweh, that she was 17, or whatever street legal was in Dutchland. But either way, the blood continued its, exp its express trip to his pieces and parts. She'd been standing in front of the stage at the Star Club the night before with her friends, wearing a black push-up corset, upside-down crosses for earrings, and a blouse that resembled a spider's web. Her eyeliner ran down her face in what appeared to be a strategic, symmetric drip. She smiled at him and did funny hand movements in the air like a clumsy Shiva. Her bottom lip had rings pierced through both corners, and she wore a black bindi. Bindi's on pale white girls killed Shane. He sang to her, trying, as in every other show he had ever played as a member of Blood Orphans, to transcend the lyrics. Through Darlow's disgusting, loveless words, he tried to affect a tone of kindness and grace and the most organic types of desire, so that his speeches in between songs about Tantra and Buddha would seem natural. He did all of this, crooning and emoting, while keeping his, ga his gaze on her fashionably tear-stained face. Danica, he said later, as they stood at the bar, that sounds like the most delicious seeded fruit. That sounds like the wind through the palm trees. That sounds like a glorious, sacred mantra. Do me, she said, and pulled him into a closet. Thank you, Michael. Thank, Thank you. you. I kind of can't believe I wrote that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, wow. Woo! Hey, Shane. What, what Poor is, soul. Yeah, what is it about that? Like, why? why what makes you say that? What? Um, because, uh, let's see. Why would I say that? Because um, it, uh, why, why did I say that? It's, uh, it's very, um, it introduces him in a way that, you know, there's a lot, not I can't believe I wrote, but like, wow, Shane's got a lot. He's at the bottom. We start, we start all these characters off really at the bottom of the well, so to speak. And, you know, when I say, oh, I can't believe I wrote that, what I really more mean is like, wow, dude, you're in rough shape. So, um, so yeah, and also just hearing your writing out loud, as all writers can attest, as they sit, stand alone in a room uh, speaking to a mirror with their manuscript, um, you know, it takes on its own life when you read it out loud. And 
sort of a more emotional experience. So, yeah. And, you know, on that note, you'll be reading uh, Blood Orphans are on tour, but so is Michael Schilling. <laughs> and, and you kick yeah. it off tomorrow at Shaman Drum yeah. at 7 o'clock. So Thursday yeah. evening, Shaman Drum, 7 mm-hmm. p.m. Mm-hmm. And um, do you know what you have you figured out what you're going to read yet? Like what part? Because you've read you've read like chapter one at Crazy Wisdom before. Yeah. So I think that um, I will probably read chapter one. You will just because do- most people. Um, have not heard chapter one that will be there. Mm-hmm. So it seems like a good chapter one's always a good place to start with a novel, right? Like I'm always a little like, huh? When I go to readings by a writer, I don't know whose book sounds interesting. And they're like, okay, so this is from page 207. Here's a couple things you need to know. <laughs> and then they talk for 10 minutes and you're like, I didn't need to know any of that if you just started at chapter one. So I'm going to try to, you know, less talk, more rock as they say in the biz and just, you know, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. I don't know. There's so many of those, <laughs> long, so many of those saying. So I'm just going to try to get to the chorus. Start with chapter one. Okay. So. Okay. And that's so, and that's leading in with Bobby. Yeah, Bobby, uh, so the bass player. Why do you choose to open with him? Like, what what is it? What is it about Bobby? Well, what it is about Bobby is that he has the most immediately large problem. Visible. Visible yes. large problem. Yeah. Bobby has um, terrible eczema. Which, for those of you that don't know what that is, um, I don't know how esoteric a word that is, but it's basically terrible dried skin. So his hands um, are in really bad shape, such bad shape that he can't really play, play the bass anymore, um, although he struggles to do so. And he's already like what's known as the band Passenger, which anybody that's listening has been in a band knows there's always one weak link. And except in the long winters, there were no weak links. And, uh, um, and Led Zeppelin. No weak links there either. But anyway, so he's the weak link and the passenger. And so I wanted to open it with basically like the most sorrowful character because all the characters, uh, there's five of them and some of them do not start the book in a bad, in a bad, a bad frame of mind. They may be in a bad state, but a couple of them start off pretty like the, the dream is still alive. Everything is going great. And they're just in total denial. So I wanted to sort of start it with something that was very viscerally um, like, ah, yes. you know, and uh, hopefully if you get past, you know, if you get past page three, you're golden. So, <laughs> well, we can't say it goes, it goes up like things improve from there because things get drastically worse for everyone for quite a while. They do. But, you know, but then what happens is <laughs> but the, uh, you wouldn't have a story if they didn't. Right. Yeah. But the, yeah, there's, there's definitely, um, a lot of, um, they go on, they, each of them go on their own little sort of vision quests a little bit and, uh, you know, um, they, Yeah. Yeah. And what so and why did you choose to set it in Amsterdam versus maybe one of is that where you had gone on European tour so it was something that you could kind of know and bring that American consciousness in mm-hmm. place it down there in Amsterdam? Or? Well, um you know, originally I started in Amsterdam because um I thought like oh Amsterdam's I mean I did go on tour there and have been there uh, once since subsequently to touring and I thought well Amsterdam you know it's kind of like rock band it looks like it's got a reputation for being libertine and free and easy and but in actuality it's really buttoned up and conservative with tons of rules which is what being in a rock band is um and it's like you know um that's fine i mean you know rock band is like any other sort of concern that has a sort of structure like a corporation and everybody has their role in it but people don't really think about a rock band like that but that was my experience with it um and so i started writing in amsterdam like sure why not there's my sort of rough parallel there but at a certain point i realized that i wasn't being fair to amsterdam at all and that amsterdam is just perfectly pretty city that's really cool and is a squillion years old so so I just thought, well, let's just, you know, keep it here. You know, so really because the, it's pretty too. Yeah, like it's beautiful it and um it's so not America too, which was I thought was really important. So, 
um, yeah. Yeah, so because it, it, it definitely there's parts where it becomes important that they're like definitely the the outsiders. Yeah, with, for and, sure. And when the glamour's rubbed off, there's nothing to save them at a certain point, right? Yeah, and the, you know, as outsiders, um, they're outsiders in the rock business too, which people will see. They're sort of um, they're um, pariahs in a lot of ways, and so uh, so yeah. So I guess that is also a parallel there, which and, I hadn't thought of. And so with the with the humor of it, because mm-hmm. you know, no, we're saying like pariahs. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but it's like there. But but in the writing, it's almost. Um, your style seems to be very quick paced mm-hmm. and very like driving forward always. Yeah. Yeah, I wa- yeah. Right. And then, and then the humor seems to be part of that because even if it's not, it, it's, it's more almost like it's, it's peppered with it. It's not like you're building towards things that are, it's just throughout. Is that, yeah. Was that yeah. I mean, basically like the, the humor is the hook that draws people in. And, uh, as the book, um, as the book proceeds, it becomes less and less funny. And more and more serious story about actual, you know, like the um, actual story about people's sort of reckoning with the decisions they've made, which, you know, as a writer, you know, um, you choose subject matter that is interesting enough for you so that you can sort of get it into gear and then let and then hopefully, I mean, at least what I hope for is that the subject matter is um, transcended by, you know, universal um, emotions, et cetera, et cetera, that people go through no matter who they are so it's been like i should just say it's been really um nice i've um established contact with some bloggers that um uh you know they're they don't look like your standard reader of a rock and roll of a rough rock and roll novel and you know but they really really have liked it and said i you know i i never thought that i could like something like this and at first i didn't but the more i got into it, the more i was like the more that the, the 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 subject matter kind of not so much fell away but sort of started to weave in with um more universal issues so trend the subject transcended itself so that was that's what i hope to do as a writer so it's very exciting and so, so you're you're corresponding with some people, Michael, yeah, uh, that are yeah. on on your blog space. That not, is that, or yeah, I mean, not so much. Um, the only people that write in blog posts on the Blood Orphan site are my friends with uh, with fake handles, um, saying things like "Blood Orphans Rock" or whatever, <laughs> which is great. But no, um, actually, um, you know, Little Brown. Um, very intelligently has um you know they they you know um tipped off a lot of literary blogs um on about tipped them off on the book and you know so these people they send them the book and they read it and then if they like it they blog it mm-hmm. and uh and so some of them have you know been really surprisingly sort of pleased it's sort of like oh, I, you know because if you look on there so go read these reviews and then um you look on their website and it's like the other um the books are you know snakes and snails and puppy dog tales and like really <laughs> like children's books and just bizarre like and then there's like rock bottoms just sitting there next to it and you're just like how did this happen <laughs> so that is actually extremely satisfying to me to be like you know because you know i mean the the job of i mean great literature right it it just it it binds people together who may have never been bound together you know through a common shared experience of art right so or something really kind of borderline pretentious like that i don't know <laughs> let's take a break and we'll come yeah. back we'll we'll let it let's let that sink in mm-hmm. yes <laughs> mull that over okay. um you're listening to living writers i'm t hetzel today on the program michael Schilling and his book rock bottom we'll be back
Welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you've got Living Writers on WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And today, Michael Schilling is here with his debut, Rock Bottom. Um, and we've, been, we've heard a little bit of it. We've been talking about it. His life as a writer. <laughs> Indeed. And we also have some good news because Little Brown, Sabrina at Little Brown has been kind enough to send along um, three copies of mm-hmm. Rock Bottom. Yeah. So what we're going to do in an, an inaugural action on inaugural act, pre-inauguration. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, we're going to give out the number for the radio station mm-hmm. and the, the first three people um, Alex Sergey, our, our intrepid engineer who is also a rock musician and drummer um, he he will pick up the phone and take your information and Michael will you be cool with signing them too so they'll be signed copies with pleasure. okay <laughs> I'm still like learning how to do that sign a book it, it feels bizarre and kind of great but also like am I really signing my name in a book it's crazy yeah yeah, yeah. And, and you're gonna be and, and since we mentioned the tour you're going to be actually you're kicking it off tomorrow at shaman drum here in ann arbor at 7 p.m then mm-hmm. you're heading to new york new york <laughs> i don't know why i just said that <laughs> i say things any double <laughs> you know instead of the old york back in limeyville right um but new york with the kgb reading series and that'll be the 25th of this month then brooklyn on the 27th and then heading over to seattle on february 21st mm-hmm. at, at um elliott bay book company which is the definite big leagues too. Yeah, and also anybody that's going to be lives in Chicago, um, March twenty fifth, uh, the AWP. book slut reading reading series, the great blog book slut, um, at a place called the Hopewell Hopewell Bar in Chicago. So it's up on the website. You can um, get more information if you're interested. But oh, that was just great. recently added. So oh, that's and I think we're going to do LA too. But I don't have something. Maybe I don't have something yet. But again, so so people can go to bloodorphans.com mm-hmm. to see tour dates and also to Little Brown, to your, your page yeah. at the Little Brown website, yeah. Michael. Okay. Yeah. So so that number is for a copy of Rock Bottom. Um, we'll, we'll take the first three callers or emails if you guys are streaming this later on. Um, we've got three books to give away. So if you hear from me, that means you're lucky. <laughs> All right. So the number to call is 734-763-3500. Um, 734. 734- Four seven six three three five zero zero the good old WCBN phone number mm-hmm. or email livingwriters at wcbn.org that's livingwriters all one word at wcbn.org um, okay so let's get back to the good stuff now yeah the good um, stuff not not that giving away we're going to see if there's three great. people listening basically <laughs> <laughs> no no it's not. Know, there's yes we've um, I'm sure we have more than three, Michael. I'm sure of it. I hope so. In fact, there's there's three people just outside in the <laughs> in the station um, okay. uh, living room. Should have been so pessimistic. <laughs> exactly. No, but that's the kind of humor that's throughout. So what mm-hmm. I'm wondering is, how are you going to, with these voices and and the way you just are as a as a human being yeah. that is obvious with your sense of humor? Mm-hmm. How are you going to translate this to your current Victorian project that you're writing now? Well, I'm going to not do that. I'm going to not translate. It. Tell us what um, your current project is, what you're working on. Right. So I'm working on a, a novel that takes place in 1829 in England and is a drama uh, ensemble cast um, that concerns and involves many of the characters from Jane Eyre. Why? Um, what, what drew you to this? How did... Yeah, what drew me to the it was birth that, of the, an idea, the idea. Yeah, I, I was reading Jane Eyre and I, I came upon in a class when I was a grad student 
I'd read it in high school too, and I came upon a scene that seemed to be me to be arguably the the most interesting scene in the book, which no one ever talked about, which is where Rochester, you know, the Byronic dark hero, um, cross dresses and dresses up like a gypsy, and has his guest come in and says, you know, I'm the gypsy, tell me your future or whatever, and and Jane is, you know, manages to get into get a viewing with the gypsy and doesn't know it's Rochester at first, and and I thought, what the <laughs> F is going on here? Why is there cross-dressing in this book, and why doesn't anybody talk about it? And so, to me, that was the portal that opened up sort of this story that wasn't being told, which has since, you know, like, you know, expanded and permutated in many ways. But, but yeah, it doesn't... Um, Jane is not currently in this book. This is time-wise happens before Jane Eyre, if you were going to, you know, but it's basically like, um, and it does, you know, have certain incidents that are in Jane Eyre, uh, but it pretty much is a reimagining of Thornfield and um, a lot of, and it's focused around a lot of the political issues about different kinds of social and economic reform that were happening at the time, uh, as well as the emancipation of um, slaves in uh, the trading, you know, in the, in the Indies and resurrectionists, grave robbers, and, uh, and the occult, basically, because, you know, and opium, because Rochester is, you know, in, in my eyes, Rochester's a, a big old drug addict. So, uh, so yeah, so it's, you know, it's darker. Um, but and what's it like working, because you're taking these characters that are, like, established in, yeah. in, in literary history yeah. and done by a long dead writer. Yeah, very good and writer. What is it? Yeah. What <laughs> was it Emily or Charlotte? Now I display my complete lack of knowledge. I always get the Brontes mixed up, whichever Bronte it was. I mean, Jane Eyre is an utterly brilliant, beyond brilliant yes, book. Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I've, um, always really been interested in sort of reimagining traditional stories. But when you're reimagining it, Michael, is that part of like, like what do you, like you've, you're taking some, like these characters, like it's jumping off points and like what's happening and, and seeing, imagining your concerns into it, like his addiction. But is it also like, is it changing the tone or like, what do oh, you, yeah. what else do you I mean, certainly tonal, that? Tonally, you know, definitely trying to write it sort of in a hard-boiled kind of way. Like I'm a very big fan of James Elroy. Basically the, the book tonally is, I want to combine James James Elroy and Angela Carter, who is a fabulous, uh, not fabulous, I although love she Angela is fabulous, like but the fabulous yeah. writer, and yeah. um, who passed away in the 1992. She was British and just a genius, mm-hmm. as is James Elroy. And so to combine this sort of fabulism, this very rich language, fabulism, along with this sense of hard boiledness that Elroy is so great at, and to try to basically slam dance him, just throw him together on the, the dance floor of narrative. And. Uh, <laughs> And uh, and see what happens, and also you know to try to imagine um, how technology shapes identity. You know what's it like when you when it gets dark out? It's just dark unless there's candles. Like what does that do to the brain? What does that do to the one sense about um, what does darkness mean? What does light mean? Um, you know that kind of thing is really fascinating to me because we forget about that. You know, we just kid around like, how do we ever make it without Facebook, or how do we ever make it about email? It's like, oh, we made it just fine, but we were different. And so, I'm really fascinated by the idea that, like, you know, how does that shape your idea about, um, you know, um, the supernatural? You know, I mean, it makes a lot more sense for people to believe that there's something going on in the dark, because in the shadows, in of the shadows, the dancing candle, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. and I think a lot of novelists. You know, great 
you know, great writers, you know, they, they consider these things. I'm not saying that I'm a great writer. I'm just saying this, these are, these are things you have to consider. And so, Oh, go on, say it. This is yeah. your radio program. <laughs> no, this I won't is do yours. it. I won't do it. Um, so is it safe to say that you, you and Anna are lighting candles up there in the old West and, side to try and reenact this sort of, <laughs> um, we might try to, my, sensibility. Anna, Anna, yes, my wife, uh, we might, uh, maybe we'll do that. I haven't thought of that, but tea, you can come over and we'll drink really um, bitter tea because what they were drinking then was not, you know, twinnings. Right. It was some pretty rough stuff, even the really good stuff. But so, so the I have not re- read Jane Eyre in years and years, and mm-hmm. and so, I, but I'm I'm thinking that the Brontes, who whichever sister it was, was not <laughs> writing in any sort of like James Elroy esque form. So no. so how so how do you reconcile that? Like, because that's that is totally bringing your own. Yeah. Well, the the James Elroy part is more informing the plot than the actual. The style is very Angela. It, it's not Angela Carter. The style is influenced by her, but it's much more Baroque. So trying to basically write to a sort of, you know, it's Victorian. It's really Regency England before Victoria ascends. Um, trying to write to this sort of style that people sort of expect a novel that takes place at this period of time to sound like, but also playing with that style. Um, how do you do that? And that's totally um, not the answer to that is not resolved i'm just battling with that but it's it's really fun and it yeah stylistically it reads on the page completely differently than rock bottom which is at this point as a writer how i like it like i really don't uh, it's really nice it's a nice change and a nice completely different set of challenges as a writer so because it's interesting because you have your um even though you your setting is in Amsterdam, this is a completely American um, novel, Rock Bottom. Yes. But what you're doing now is is you're you're taking the setting and you're also that will be England mm-hmm. and and it, but you can't have that American consciousness in there. Right. Yeah. So it's a different. So it's, a, it's, a, it's a very it's different really story. I mean, one of the cool things about you know I should probably get back to Rock Bottom, but one of the, <laughs> one of the one of the cool things um, about the writing process for. Rock bottom is to try to reconcile cultures. You know, uh, the these guys are really American, and um, you know, as Darla said, you know, um, to the Europeans about America hating, get a new hobby. So, um, which is Darla, not me. I'm not saying that, but um, but yeah, but it's, it's very, nice to yeah. have that vehicle of Darla to say a lot of things. Yeah, and I mean, I actually, you know, that is Darla saying that. I mean, you know, that's another thing too. That's a very um, every writer faces, which is like, you know, um, oh, which one are you? The, well, which one? Right. But also, I, 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 I mean, one, one thing that's yeah. nice about Rock Bottom is that anybody out there in Seattle that you know knew, knows people in the Long Winters, um, you know, this is not an autobiographical novel, um, uh, for better or worse. It's not, and uh, so it's really. Um, but what you do is, of course, everything you write is autobiographical in some way because you wrote it, and you know, and so as a result, like you know, taking the raw essence of an experience and then distilling it down and transferring it onto um, a, f- uh, a new environment um, on the page is, you know, that's the autobiographical part. And that's, it's very interesting to see how the story shapes the raw data that you're working with. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, because at a certain point, you probably were coming up into things that were surprising you that the characters were doing. Like maybe, oh, yeah, totally. Although it's like there might be some moments that you kind of when you you did the broad sketches for Rock Bottom, Michael. Mm-hmm. Did you like? Did you know something was going to befall Darlow's porn king father? Like was that or no. is that something that just happened to be part of his to aid in the crumbling and his self questioning? And yeah, it was. I mean, I really wanted to also, um, you know, there's so much bad fiction about pornography. And, uh, is there now? <laughs> not that I would know. I mean, that, that's, what, that's what I was told by my barber. 
Um, there's just just so many books I've uh, not read, but uh, I've told, been told about. Um, and so, you know, um, I wanted to write about that world in a way that, um, to, to Darlo, pornography, having grown up with a, a porn dad producer, um, porn producer dad, a pornography to him is like orange juice to me or you. It's just there. It isn't, it isn't special. And it isn't dirty. Although, you know, it, it, it really, of course, you know, affects him pretty profoundly in a lot of negative ways. But, but it's also like a source of empowerment for him in a really strange way. And um, so I wanted to make it like not stock and also not like black, black or white. Like this is a complicated, it's all complicated. Everything's complicated. And so, um, so that was sort of part of my aim about like trying to explore his relationship with his father, who is, you know, a tragic figure, even though he's a messed up guy. So, so we're going to take a short break, and then we'll be, we'll be back with to hear more from Michael Schilling and his book Rock Bottom. You're listening to Living Writers. I'm T Hetzel. It's WCBN FM Ann Arbor. We'll be back. song welcome back you're listening to living writers on wcbn fm ann arbor that was the long winters yes yeah hi guys i don't know if you're listening but um i miss you okay <laughs> that, that was a really great song yeah, i'm glad we got great, to great hear song. that one yeah. <laughs> and so so it's probably must be strange because you've played that like, ma- like so many many times, times. Yeah. yeah yeah and uh uh yeah i mean there's you know there's things you always miss about playing in a band and touring. I mean, a lot of touring. I mean, from reading this book, one might think that touring isn't um, anything but some sort of like a um, sort of dale, daily misery or highway to hell, but that is not the case. And, you know, touring is just like life. I mean, some days are great and some days are tough, And but it's certainly something I'm really glad I did. And, it's, you know, on the whole, really, really fun. So, I mean, we had a much better time than the guys in, in Rock Bottom. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> 
Yeah, we were not like that kind of band. So yeah, and it was nice. I had I was um, lucky enough to be able to see you actually jump up behind the drum set when um, John when came Roderick came. came oh, the long winters. It was the long winters. Town. Okay, yeah. and yeah, that was that was fun. That was really great. You were fu- a fury. I was. The, yeah. uh, I found out later that the that John and the boys referred to my um, performance as the No Phil Left Behind <laughs> performance. <laughs> like I don't think I kept the beat at all. I think I just was doing a Keith Moon because I was so excited. So <laughs> they were gracious enough to you know suffer through it and that was great so <laughs> uh, well anyway a good a good time was, was really had by fun. all yeah yeah that's good um okay so we've been talking you've been hearing a little bit about michael's current projects which are vastly different and then we've been we've heard a, a part of rock bottom um this novel uh we've got a couple of copies to give away so if you'd like to Give us a ring at 734-763-3500. That's 763-3500. Um, you, too, can um, read the whole story, what happens to these guys, yes. see if they're saved at the end, and Joey, their manager. Um, the, the, Who is the, a woman. A female. Yeah, the yes. female voice within five, the book. four guys in the band and uh, Joey, who is a man, who's the manager, who's a woman. So providing some kind of uh, attempt at balance. Although she's, she's pretty rough stuff, too. So, yeah, but she provides some kind of, you know, the female touch, levity. So, a little mo- mother, motherliness. So. Oh, boy. I feel like she'd kick you in the shin if she heard she you w- say Ow! that motherliness. Yeah. No, I know. She's going to probably blog about this tomorrow. <laughs> um, yeah, because I, I think there's this moment that's kind of run. Well, it's it runs throughout the book um, about the time when Joey, fa- like, really failed them with the Sharpie Shakes. Sharpie Shakes. Yes. That is so, like, They're given heart-rending a, the, the, in some the ba- way. Yeah, the band is given the opportunity to uh, be the official sponsor for a ice cream company, a milkshake company called Sharpie Shakes. Do you have that jingle in your head? Because it comes, uh, can you sing a yeah, bit of it uh, for us? Or? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, um, no, I can't actually, I'm, I'm blanking. Sharpie Shakes, fun in the sun, you betcha. Sharpie Shakes, real good times, it'll get you. And she, they're offered like a million dollars and she was like, that's going to blow our cred. So, you know, or like, you know, we can't do that. That'll we'll, we'll just be known as a kids band. And they're like, okay, you're a genius. You just got us this big record deal. And then, of course, Sharpie Shakes takes off in this, as I put it in the book, uh, cross-marketing with the Warp Tour and, uh, and Nike Bonnaroo. and Bonnaroo and <laughs> Nike. And, and they're busy, you know, playing some basement somewhere in Amsterdam. So, <laughs> but anyway, Sharpie Shakes. So, Sharpie so this, Shakes. so this, the, and, and it becomes like such a sad thing because it haunts them. It's yeah. literally almost around every corner. When they hear it on the radio when they're in. <laughs> like you know coffee bars and yeah it's it's definitely their a nemesis for them yeah i think it's great how you give them the opportunity to have a fist fight at the end against some skinheads too or not at the end but in the book yeah, yeah there's like a there is that's uh yeah um i again like you know it seems heroic yeah there is some heroism there so, but I don't want to give too much no, away. No, 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 no. I, I know. <laughs> um, going back to the website, um, but was this like how? How do you market? Like this is this is a new book just out January 9th. Mm-hmm. So, how do you approach the, the the marketing of of Rock Bottom? Well, if one thing is for sure, it's that fiction is not that widely read yet. Any, I mean, I mean, it will be again widely read. <laughs> you give me this look like reinforce stereotypes, but you know, um, people, you know. Um, the point is that, um, you know, you want to establish yourself as, you know, your own thing as a writer. And so, you know, um, for better or worse, marketing is part of, 
is part of that. And with your background process. and with your, you, you know, you have that, you have a felicity with it, right? Like, yeah. I mean, as a, you know, as a person who comes from marketing, um, yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing about this book is that it just, with a rock band, it just, it lends itself to a good marketing idea. Um, you know, which is, you know, this fake band website. You can buy merchandise, by the way, at this website. You can buy t-shirts. Beer steins. And beer steins. And uh, hats. Thongs. <laughs> you can. Front and back. And, uh, yeah. Pictured. And, um, yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so it lends itself to that kind of thing. So the idea pretty much just was there waiting for me to grab it out of the air. It really, I, 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 it just sort of came to me like, well, it's a band. I mean, I should have a band website. And so, um yeah. Um, so that's kind of, you know, it sort of just naturally happened. And, and it seems like it, it seems really like a fun aspect of it, too. Like you can really tell that you um, you care about each of these characters, like looking at what Darlow put on his page where he's like, mm -hmm. this is what I really love. And then you click to that um, that YouTube Venom yeah. thing where it's like, all right. Yeah, okay. it's just a, it's just a guy from Venom, a British uh, <laughs> black metal band on stage just screaming about who knows what. It's brilliant. But um, but yeah, so each of the band members has their own page and, you know, their own, you know, a friend of mine did uh, illustrations, um, the great Michael Warfel in St. Louis, um, did illustrations to the band members. So, you know, and they kind of look like exactly like I imagined them to look like. So it's pretty wild. Can, and, and did you, did when you, when he sent those to you, did you send them back with some tweaks or did you, or is it just no, no, as I, is? I, like, I was so thrilled and pleased that he helped me out that yeah. I was like, whatever you think, just do it. And I'm happy <laughs> forever. So we also have a, a mascot, a giant praying mantis called Larry. Uh, so he has his own page because, you know, uh, Iron Maiden had Eddie, their mascot. And so Blood Orphans decided that on their reunion tour, they want to have a mascot. And the best they could come up with was uh, Larry, the praying mantis. So, so yeah, so a parody of that kind of element of rock and roll as well. So it sounds like you just had a, a lot of fun with this. And how many yeah. how many years of your life was did Blood Orphans inhabit? And still, like, obviously, you're on yeah. tour with them right now. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm singing their praises. Um, uh, you know, uh, the book took about a year to write and a year to revise. And again, um, you know, I got to revise it in the context of, you know, some amazing writing teachers. So you did you so you came here with the book already, a draft of Rock Bottom? Uh, no, I came here with like, you know, the first 20,000 words. So just the beginning and then just, you know, burn the midnight oil, as it were. And uh, and then, you know, got to work with the faculty here. And um, who are some of your what are some of your influences? Like uh, um, but uh, even beyond the wall, the hallowed walls of Michigan, if you'd like, whatever. Right. <laughs> Dead or alive. <laughs> right. Um, well, you know, I really, I love Wallace Stevens, the poet. Um, he's a genius. Um, and why is that? Like, what about I, I don't know. That's what's, that's what's so genius about him. Um, and uh, he's just an amazing poet. And also, uh, I love Joan Didion and Don DeLillo and Robert Coover. Um, in fact, part of, you know, this new book, like taking existing characters, um, Robert Coover does a lot of that as well. Um, so that's, you know, big influential. I love T.C. Boyle. And, uh, yeah, Anne Sexton, the poet. So, yeah. And you actually have in the back of Rock Bottom, you have a list, Michael, books of Michael Schelling. Yeah. Likes. Yeah. Little Brown is great because they, they let you um, put a book list in the back of your favorite books, which is, is a lot of fun to do. And you feel like you're getting the name out there. So, like, a couple of books that everybody loves I didn't put in there. Like, I do love The Virgin Suicides a great deal. But, you know, everybody knows about The Virgin Suicides, I think, or almost everybody. So, there's a couple of um, goodies. I mean, uh, not so much goodies, a couple of less known 
um, deep cuts, as we call it in music, like third song from the second side kind of thing, like Steve Erickson, really brilliant, fabulous writer. Um, and, uh, yeah. And what, and to prepare, like when you're, are you also writing other projects? Cause you're, you're, you're deeped in Regency Victorian sort of <laughs> tones yeah. in England. Right, yeah? Right, yeah. And so are you reading a lot of that right now in that those from that time period, historical uh, fiction a lot of, or, or I'm really, historical? Yeah. I'm reading a lot of Dickens just to see what I can't do. <laughs> Cause he's so good. My God, he's so good. And also, um, a lot of primary materials. Like I'm reading like the minutes, so to speak of, of the, the house of Lords debates over certain legislation that kind of thing not that it will ever directly um, how do you end get up access to that the university of michigan has a great library so way to go with the great library over in hatcher so and they have all the you know they have book shelf after shelf of proceedings of the house of lords from 1830 and and it's a uh, and that it's really amazing, it's amazing. It? <laughs> so it's really fun to read these documents because it really helps inform the writing you know you don't end up co- you don't end up like, cob, you know, cobbling from it, but you, you know, it, it sort of haunts your writing, this kind of stuff. And you just, um, and just reading up, I mean, the more material, historical material and how they lived a material, quote unquote, that you have, the more you can play with it and adapt it. And, and you yeah. it's in your mind, you're kind of living yeah. in it and you're subconscious too yeah. then, right? As you're walking around and. Absolutely. Doing, and yeah, it's always with me. I mean, these characters, these sort of oddball grotesques are you know, always with me and, um. I kind of like it that way right now. So. Well, thank you so much for being on the program, Michael. Yeah, thank you, T. And, thanks and, a lot. And, um, thanks to Alex Sergey for engineering. Yes, Alex, thank um, you. Thanks to, to um, everyone in Ann Arbor who's listening and those streaming in Florida, Seattle, yeah. Chicago, elsewhere. Um, we've uh, been talking about, we, you know, Shaman Drum tomorrow, Thursday, um, January 15th. Michael will be reading and signing, mm-hmm. right? It's like the rite of passage at Shaman Drum. Yes, <laughs> indeed. The rite of passage um, introduced by the great Ray McDaniel. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Great Ray McDaniel. So this has been Living Writers. I'm T. Hetzel. You've been listening to Michael Schilling and his novel, Rock Bottom. Thank you.
listening to WCDN Sports, where Michigan basketball happens. Now it's right off a of screen. Douglas, NBA range. Three! Stu Douglas, Michigan wow. wins. 18 seconds, the differential between the game and shot clock. Michigan holding a two-point lead, trying to get it in three. Oh, backdoor! Sims! He slams it! Oh, baby! Four-point game, there's still 28 points. Slam it home to Sean! Oh, boy. Four-point game, 20 seconds still left. What do you tie for UCLA? Here's Keith, top of the key. Holiday in the near quarter. Michigan cannot allow a three here. Holiday, low baseline. Pass it wildly out of bounds. 14.1 to go. And now Michigan can sense it. Long outlet pass into the hands of Collison in the front court. Collison has it. Tough three, partially blocked. Bogan. A shocker in New York City. Michigan knocks off the number four team of the country. And they'll get Duke tomorrow night for a 2K Sports Classic Championship. Three hours and counting. A big time game. The showdown in Champaign later tonight where it'll be Michigan and Illinois. We'll talk about that game coming up. Plus, everything else in the world of sports on a chilly Wednesday. And I mean chilly. Really, really cold outside. On this Wednesday, the 14th day of January 2009, Rob Salomon, Jeremy Kreisberg, Rushi Vias, and we should get started with the Michigan news of the day. All right, and we'll start right out with the basketball team as they will, coming off that big drubbing of Iowa and climbing back into the top 25, they will go to Illinois, a team they beat a couple weeks ago in Chrysler by 10, though it was a very, very tight game throughout. They're going to Illinois, one of the toughest places to play in the Big